This morning, would you turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Exodus? And we're going to be in mainly in chapter 31, but we're going to take a look at chapter 30 today also. Last Sunday, we laid out chapters 27 through 30, and we took an overview of these four chapters. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about an amazing announcement by God that his presence will dwell among the people again. And at this point in history, the last time the presence of God was among the people was in the Genesis creation account in the Garden of Eden. And yet today, we have the presence of God with us everywhere all the time. And in chapters 27 through 30, we saw further detail of tabernacle workers, the priests. And even with this understanding, we also talked about last week that Jesus Christ is our high priest, and that Peter tells us in his first letter in chapter 4 of 1 Peter that those who put their trust in Jesus are a kingdom of priests. And we looked at all of that last week. But one of the things that we said is that almost all the, the, the real beautiful, profound things that God is going to do in your life are going to take place over a long period of time through a lot of ordinary. And so the question we, we talked about last week and answered was, how are we to be priests, if we're a kingdom of priests, how are we to be priests in our modern day? And we said that faithful presence in enjoying the ordinary and being faithful men and women, loving kids, being good employees at your workplace, belonging to the community of faith, which is the church, and faithfully serving one another, and it's slow, and it feels sometimes just exhausting work, and it's just faithfully doing ordinary things over and over and over and over again for a long period of time while simultaneously saying to God, praying, please, God, give us breakthrough Bring us healing and move and save the lost and drive out evil and, and bind and open up and help us in expecting God to do those things. And so we do the ordinary and pray for the extraordinary. Last week I was, took some time off and I was in the Sierras and sitting in a, a hotel lobby early in the morning and looking at scripture and enjoying a cup of coffee and just praying. And, and I was praying for us today, especially, that you would be sitting here, that there would be people watching online and people in the outdoor venue. And there would be spiritual breakthroughs, even as we sing this morning and as we talk. And that there would be healing, that I know some of you need healing today. That even in these words that I'm talking right now, in the music that we sang and heard the choir sing to us, that it would be Jesus and he would bring us healing. That there would be conflicts of loved ones in your life, maybe even with you, that they would be resolved. That those of you with secret addictions in your life right now, 
that they would be gone. And that there would be a sudden and miraculous breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough in your life. And that those who came here today searching for, they don't even know what they're searching for, but they came, that you would find Jesus Christ here this morning. All the while, being grateful for the ordinary, for the present, and just being grateful for being a regular person, an average person in the South Bay today. My hope for us as a church is that we might live our lives together and not just here on campus but outside these walls as a kingdom of priests embracing faithful presence of God in the ordinary and then praying and pleading with God for breakthrough and healing and miracles and that people would come to know Jesus. And I think about the ministry of Jesus that kind of followed this. I think about the ministry of Jesus, how it looked at the time to be pretty insignificant to many people. But there was a group of people that were afraid of Jesus in the ministry that he was bringing. And Jesus had this ministry team, this group of servant leaders, a leadership collective of just misfits and outcasts. And those who were afraid of Jesus, that he was going to take over, they killed him. They arrested him, put him in a mock trial. They beat him. They spit on him. And then they nailed him to a cross. And they thought that was going to be the end to the ministry of Jesus. But it, it wasn't. We're here today. And the global church is growing and getting stronger. And it, 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 the global church exists in mega in thousands of people and the global church exists in just small groups of people meeting in underground churches in living rooms and homes and in break rooms and workplaces and coffee houses maybe three four five six people where the church to meet like that would be illegal so the church just keeps going in mega and micro sizes so we don't despise the ordinary, but we plead with Jesus for the extraordinary. And what follows today, um, as we take a, we'll take a look at the end of chapter 30, things that we really didn't cover last week. Um, what follows in chapter 30 is this altar of incense and what looks like just a bunch of odds and ends that the author of Exodus just thought, well, i got to put these things in there. I'll just kind of jam them in here at the end of 30. But it's not really like that. Instead, we're looking at more of an invitation by God to be in his presence. So let's take a look at this. In chapter 30 and verses 11 through 16, it's all about a census being taken. And after the altar of incense, we see a census being taken and it says, count the males, count the men over age 20. And any time you read about a census in the ancient world, it's taken for two reasons. The first is that the numbers were counted for war. A war was coming. Or secondly, the numbers were counted for an offering that was to be taken. And therefore, every census, when it's taken, is a reminder to them and to us 
that God is going to fight the battles of war, and he's the one that's always going to provide for your needs. Always. So you don't choose your battles. You don't fight your battles. God does. And you don't meet your own needs. God does. And so God is just saying, in this census, I'm bringing you more of my presence. And after the census, all the males over age 20, they gave half a shekel, which was really not much, but it was, it was a reminder to them that you don't provide for your own needs. God is saying, I provide for you. And this is a reminder against self-reliance. Now, I, I think about the Israelites, and, and I think about the message given to them over and over and over again. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God is doing. So how did the Israelites gain freedom from slavery in Egypt? Did they lodge a protest? Did they have megaphones and get in lines with picket signs and march around and say, we don't want to be slaves anymore? No. There weren't protests. They weren't forming a militia and say, let's go to war against Egypt. It was God who freed them from Egypt. And now they're free from this bondage. Who's providing for their every need? God is doing it. So that was 16 uh, uh, verses 11 through 16 in chapter 30. And then we have verses 17 through 21. And it's all about a bronze basin and a bronze stand. And the bronze basin here in these verses are detailed out to remind us, once again, remind us that God is holy and we're not holy. And if we're to be in the presence of God, we must be cleansed of our sin. And Aaron and his sons, the, the priests, the priestly line, needed to wash in order to be in the presence of God. And right now, we, all of us here, are in the presence of God because we are forgiven and washed clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're going to remember that today in the Lord's Supper. And when Aaron and his sons wash in this bronze basin, the people are reminded, God is pure, we're dirty, but God has made a way. God is holy, we're not, but God has made a way. In verses 22 through 38 in chapter 30, it's all about anointing. It's really about the same thing. It's about the consecration or the dedication of the priests, it's about cleanliness. It's about protection um, against what is sinful. And not only the priests had to be anointed, but everything in the tabernacle had to also be anointed. And then this altar of incense that we read at the end of 30 had to be burning all the time. It, it, was, it symbolized the prayers of the people going up to God. And this altar of incense had to be burning the the, uh, the priests need to be anointed and dedicated, and so were all the other things in the temple. And so at the end of 30, it says, make a lot of incense. It smells really good. It's not for yourselves, but it's for the Lord. So keep praying. Keep, keep sending the, 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 the vapors, the smoke of the incense up to the Lord. And all, all of this specific detail is being communicated so that it's so clear to them and it's so clear to us that God is holy, 
that we are sinful, but God has made a way for us to be in the presence of his holy God. And the greatest need for every human being, we said it last week, is a presence of God in their lives. You know, our hearts, my heart and your heart, if it's left alone, it will not be drawn to the presence of God. We will always drift to self-reliance. I need to tell you this, it's hard news, but you are not enough. You're not. You can drive around the South Bay and see billboards and signs and murals that says, you are enough. I'm here to tell you, that's a lie. Given our own, just to be on our own, we will always drift towards self-reliance. We think we're enough, we're th we think we're self-reliant, we think we're independent, we think we're strong enough, we think we're smart enough, we think we're powerful. If you want to try that out, go ahead. Check it out. But soon you will discover that God is enough. So God, knowing the tendency of our hearts, the human heart, that our hearts are always driven, leaning towards self-reliance, not the presence and the power he, he puts the brakes on us drifting away from him. And, and so we find ourselves here in our text today in chapter 31. And it's about two things. It's about work and it's about rest in Exodus chapter 31. In verses 1 through 11, the Lord says through Moses to set before the people workers Work and workers. And he says, get the skilled labor out there to do these things. This is work. But then in chapter, in verse 12 of chapter 31, it says this. Take a look. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must. And just stop there for a second. Let's stop and just kind of think about those two words. If you've got a pen and you've got a a hard Bible, go ahead and underline it. You must. Circle it, draw a box around it. If you're online, you got to make a little note there that says these words are so important. You must. We've had a lot of laws. We've had a lot of specifics about the tabernacle. We've had a lot of detail concerning the tabernacle. A lot of stuff concerning the the presence and the power of God. And what God just said to Moses is, don't stray. Don't, don't drift from this. He uses these words, you must. And I think this is a pretty significant moment. Verse 13, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now what does it say about the nature and the character of God that he says, above all else, take a day off? What does that say about God? God, God says, you need to take a day off and do nothing. 
You need to rest. You need to stop work. Uh, you need to stop your toil. You need to stop your busyness. Remember that I am the Lord your God. Think about this for just a second. You have this frenetic activity of tabernacle construction, right? We've been talking about this for three weeks. It's all of the specifics, the, the costly materials, the gemstones, the linen, the thread, the gold, the acacia wood, the, the specifics of how big it should be and, and, and what all of these things are. This, this costly material and then this ornate craftsmanship, right? About curtains and, 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 and get gold and put it around it and and make sure the oil is right and it's coming from these three or four sources and some mollusk in the Red Sea and mix it all together and burn this incense and, and, and all of this. This costly detail, this, this ornate craftsmanship and this specific ritual of washing and anointing over and over again and then the sacrifice of bulls and lambs and grain and split them down the middle and put the innards over here and, and burn this and wave this grain and, and all of this specific stuff. And then God goes, Moses, you have to tell the people above everything else, you need to take a break. Now, this is going to get very serious in verse 14. It says, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Well, that took a hard turn, didn't it? Isn't it weird? It's like, you're going to take a day off or else. And something that's is going on here that's very serious to the heart of God. And I think we need to, to really look at this. Think about how counterintuitive this is. Let's bring it back to us. How counterintuitive this is for a highly productive and workaholic Southern California. who even in our recreation and leisure, it feels like a lot of who recreates better than me, right? Who, who, who gets to have a good time more than me? There's a competition even in that. Who has a boss that says, hey, if you don't take a day off this weekend, you're fired? We get rewarded for busyness, long hours, and crazy activity. God says, because you have a tendency towards self-reliance and are prone to forget the grace and goodness of God, you're going to have to take a day off a week and stop everything. And you're going to have to remember that I am the one who rescued you. And I am the one who fights for you. And I am the one who provides for you because I am who I am. 
God is creating a nation here. Remember this. He's, he's creating a nation, and he's showing all the other nations, the whole world, what it looks like to belong to the Creator. And what he's doing is he's bringing his holy presence to a people that lean towards self-reliance. And he's revealing to all the other nations around that he is the great provider and he is the great protector by letting his people just rest. You look at the scriptures and it's all the way through the scriptures, not just in the beginning of Genesis and Exodus. I mean, you read about it. Jesus dealt with this in kind of a different way because there then are always those who take this Sabbath and they get real serious about it and, and, and they start calling people out and, you know, all this stuff starts to happen. But if you take this day of rest and you put a bunch of rules around it, the love and beauty of all of this from God is, is really just a gift to us. Take a look at the New Testament in your notes in Luke chapter 13. We'll start in verse 10 here. And, and just make this transition from the old to the new in Luke 13, verse 10. Luke writes this. He says, <clears throat> On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Okay, so there's a, there's a woman that, that, that goes to church with a disabled spirit, and she comes in to this worship service at church, and her back is broken because of demonic oppression. And Jesus sees her, sees her brokenness, and walks over, lays a hand on her, and says, not anymore. Remember, the Sabbath rest reminds us of the power and the presence of God, which goes against self-reliance and into dependence on God alone. And Jesus frees this woman from what has bound her, and she straightens up and praises God, and the whole church goes nuts, just goes, praises God. But, verse 14, <laughs> indignant, meaning ticked off, indignant because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath. Anyone have feelings about this synagogue leader? Any, like, disgust? Any, like, what's the matter with you anyways? Anyone have those feelings about this person? Take a look at verse 15. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? 
then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people, well, they were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. The church leader missed the point, as we often do. And sometimes things were meant to be life-giving and to orient, orient us around the presence and the power of God. And those things are sometimes replaced by rigid religiosity. And then we begin to make weak and foolish arguments like this. It's so weak, right? You know, with work and then with rest, there's a lot of tension with that. Because there's one side that cries out, work harder, we'll pay you more. We'll give you a promotion. Just keep working harder. We like that you're producing. And then there's this other side, the rest side, that says, take a break, though. If you keep doing that, then you're not going to be good for them anymore. So you need to rest. But then this side, they just want to use you, and they'll work you and work you and work you until you're no good anymore, and then you're gone, and we'll get the next person to come in there. And we'll say, keep working. Keep working hard. Keep producing. We'll pay you more until they burn that guy out. And then, and this side cries out, but we need to rest. If we're going to go the long haul, we need, so there's this tension all the time between work and rest. I want to just wrap this up and just talk about Sabbath a little bit. You know, I'm, I hesitate to say this, but I'll say it anyways. I am an expert in this. I have a college degree in therapeutic recreation from the Cal State University. And on my diploma, it says I've been awarded this, a degree in therapeutic recreation from the School of Recreation and Leisure Studies. And you laugh, but there's a school like that. After I graduated, I worked at a psychiatric hospital for the people on the work side that people, they just burned out and they found themselves in a hospital. And I worked as a registered recreation therapist and a certified leisure counselor. I'm an expert in this. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Since a Sabbath is something instituted by God, and it's a covenant with his people, does that mean that you and I need to set aside one day a week, every seven days, one day, um, to rest? Does that mean that we must do that? Should we have a, a Sabbath day on which we do nothing 
But think about the Lord and rest in the Lord. I say maybe, but not necessarily. And here's what I mean by that. The same way that Jesus fulfills what's happening in the presence of God, in the purpose of the tabernacle, that Jesus fulfills the role of high priest, so is Jesus our Sabbath rest. It's not confined to a day. It's an ever-present reality that we have. Just like the tabernacle is kind of cool when you think about it, but Jesus so blows it away when he says, I'm with you always. And the high priest is kind of cool. We talked about it last week with this like 300-pound robe and the, the ephod and the breast piece and the jewels and the shoulder pieces and the turban with the holy is the Lord in gold and bells on, his, on the edge so he doesn't get lit up in the temple and you know all this stuff. It's kind of cool, yet Jesus is better. And so Sabbath, the idea of one day a week that we can rest and give our hearts this gift of grace and mercy of God is just a shadow of what Jesus brings when he says, I'm your Sabbath rest. So we don't wait for a day of rest. That rest is found in God. And it's always available to us. So let's just have some real talk about about the world we live in. Let's have some talk about, let's have a little family talk here. Life today is not slowing down. It's not. Most of us have work, and some have multiple jobs. We are into activity and fitness routines, and chores. Everyone's, no one's doing those dishes that are sitting in your sink right now, except you. you got stuff to do. There's home projects. There is relationships with friends and family, loved ones. There's a list of places on your mind or written down on a paper in some document or on your phone or whatever, places you want to visit in the world. And you're just checking those things off, like activity. Like, once I get this done, what what are you going to do then, once it's all done? And many are just thinking, okay, okay, just when I get through this season of life, and then I'll be, what? Making up another season of life for you, probably, right? Some of you worked for 40 years or more in, 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 in hopes that one day you'll have a retirement, and then you can just you're probably kind of busy as a retired person. And maybe you're like, you know, I just can't wait. I'm going to have this one day off. This day's coming. I can't wait for that big day. And on that day, I'm going to breathe out. (sighs) Finally, right? Well, I want you to know the world does not care about your breathe out day. And that's why it's good news It's so good news. It's just great that Jesus is our Sabbath rest in the midst of the chaos of life. The best news here is that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that you and I have this opportunity to peacefully walk in the presence and power anywhere, anytime we walk with God. 
So let me just suggest this, that I think that we need to build in our life rhythms. The ancients, the early church fathers, they called it a rule of life. And they built structure in their day. And it really helped them to understand the rhythms and the, the, the work and the rest and, and all of that. And so um, let me just offer these things to you. They're not rules. They're suggestions. I think it's good. You should have some sort of rhythms built into your life. Spiritual rhythms, like connecting with God, getting into the scriptures and, and talking to God in prayer and worship. And, and these rhythms of life should be daily, I think, and then weekly, every seven days, and then monthly, yearly, and then every seven years. There should be the, some sense of rhythm to your life. So there's these spiritual rhythms. And, and I, I sit out in the, in the lobby on the counter there, just stacks of what we call our daily bread. It's a group that produces a daily scripture reading, reading and a, a writing and some prayer. Soon we have people, we have a bunch of people, Nova people, working on an Advent devotional that's going to start right after Thanksgiving where every day we're going to read a scripture and, and, and read from, from what, 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 the, what, what God has asked them to write in a prayer. And it's this rhythm we want to get into. And it's a season, Advent season. After that, a Lenten season. And we just we keep going. It's rhythms that are built in. We need that. We need that as people. And then I think there's physical rhythms that we need to be involved in. You need to eat healthier. I'll say that. Okay? We need to have activity to move the body, exercise the heart and the muscles regularly. We need to sleep. Sleep. We need to get some good sleep in. Many, many don't sleep well. And it's messing up your body. Spiritual, physical, and relational. We need to love one another because that really fuels, fuels you. We have this thing that right after our welcome and announcements, we ask people to stand up and say hi to someone, shake their hand, give them a hug, pat them on the back, give them a high five, look at them in the eyes, smile. I want you to know that I know some of you just hate that because some of you come in after that because you just hate it so much. I want you to know that I acknowledge you, I see you, that you hate that. But I also want you to know that with some people, if you shake their hand, if you look at them in the eye and you smile at them, you say good morning to them, that may be the only loving, kind, warm, affectionate touch or look in the eye or words they had all week. It's a time of ministry for us. It's not a time that we're trying to make people uncomfortable. And so think about that. It's a time of ministry, and we need to have that relationship. And many of you are in small groups. Upwards of 75, 80% of us are in small groups where friends are becoming family. We pray for one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. That's so important and so healthy for you. I'll just say this. John, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
and the voices in our culture, they push us towards self-reliance. And our culture cries out, you are enough. But may we be a people that find our power and presence in Jesus. And may we whisper in our own hearts and then share with anyone who has ears to hear that God is enough. Amen.